our panel this morning. Fergus Finlay is a former CEO of Bernardo's and a former Labour Party strategist. Hazel Chu is a Green Party councillor in Dublin. Cormac Lucy is the economics columnist at the Sunday Times Ireland. And Olivia Kelly is the Dublin editor for the Irish Times. Good morning, everyone. Morning. morning. So we will come to uh, immigration and we will come to uh, John Bruton's funeral as well. But because we have a Dublin correspondent here and because we have a Dublin... um, councillor and everything. Why don't we start, Hazel Chew, with the uh, traffic plans for Dublin, which I think did uh, cause a lot of chatter uh, this week and some people very annoyed and some people delighted. You've picked Killian Woods in the Business Post, Dubliners back plan to restrict car use but with reservations. Do they back it? They do back it. I, I think both Killian... Based on... Ba- based on the uh, feedback, uh, the consultation report, in fairness, Brendan. A lot of people... Self-selecting uh, No, 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 no. Well, no? Th- th- this, this consultation report was uh, over three months. A lot of people said, how did it suddenly happen? It, it got announced last September and it didn't close until December. And there were... A consultation, there were submissions, there were 3,000 submissions on the back of that report. And since then, the data that's generated report forms part of the plan as well. And Are also, you excited for how Dublin could be when this starts coming absolutely. in? Absolutely. I, I hope this will be transformative. This is, what, this is what I can get. Where's an example of a good plaza in, in Dublin? It, well, there's that none. we've done well. Well, oh, that, uh, that we've done well. Well, there's various little spaces we've done well since COVID. If you look yeah, at the size, store, well, like, yeah, like, and like this the, is the, the opportunity. Though. Is that not the? Is that not more the way to do it than these big no. open plazas? If you look at other European countries, Brendan, they all have big plazas. They all have these spaces that are event spaces, that are market spaces, that are children play spaces, places for uh, elderly to sit, families, individuals hang out uh, during lunchtime as well. This is what we need. But what we need, and Olivia said it really well on, on Saturday, was that um, well, the Q&A uh, put out was uh, very factual and it allowed people to uh, to understand what is the facts of the, it, this project. And the facts are, we are trying to get cars that are using uh, Dublin as a dual carriageway as a true road out so that it can benefit Dublin city centre. More people can go in, they can still go in in cars. This whole myth of, oh, we're stopping all cars going into Dublin, that's not true. They can still go in in cars, but what it will do is it will speed up the buses. Okay, Olivia. I would say it shouldn't be seen so much as a a plaza plan, as it's a public transport plan, really. So if you think about it, like the, the, this shocking figures that I thought the NTA came up with, I wouldn't have known this, was that 60% of cars that are are going through the city centre are literally just doing that. They're going through and they're going off somewhere else again. So if you if you manage to take out a good cohort of that, it would make it easier for the other 40% who are trying to get into the city centre in their car because they want to shop, because they go to work. But also it would make it much better for the buses because there's always that thing of, oh, we, we've terrible public transport. We've a terrible bus system. So we need to fix that before we bring in these measures. No, you need to bring in these measures so you can improve those bus systems yeah. and those times. You there's, see, I think a lot of people sometimes think, I'm looking at empty bus lanes and empty cycle lanes while I'm stuck in traffic there. But what you're saying is that we we actually need to build it first and then ultimately 
the, the buses and the, and the bikes will come. It, it has to be done that way. And another thing I'd say is I was, because there was, there was a, a councillor who represents, um, say, the North Strand area on the radio during the weekend. He was making the, the point of how will my constituents, my elderly constituents, get to their hospital appointments if they, if they, if they can't go through the city centre. Now, I did a few tests on that at different times of the day. I put a pin on the North Strand and I said, right, what hospitals might these people be going to? Well, if they're going to hospitals on the north side, if they're going to say to the matter, if, if they're elderly uh, people, they're unlikely to be going to the Rotunda. But say they're doing that, it doesn't affect them at all. Say they're going to Vincent's or say they're going to James's. So they do need to cross the city. Even now, the Keys is not their best way to go. It's not their fastest way to go. So... In, in those sorts of elements, the things that are the scaremongering things, I'd say, they just really don't hold water. The children's hospital, how does it fit into all this, do you think? Very because similar to James's, as in it won't affect you at all. If you're coming from the north side, you're, a, a slow route to go would be to try and come down through the O'Connell Street direction and to go along the quays. And that's really all we're talking about here. We're talking about a very narrow area. We're talking about Bachelor's Walk. We're talking about Aston Quay. And then we're talking about ending that left-hand turn from Westland Row onto Pier Street, which at the moment would be funneling uh, um, traffic down towards Tara Street and across that way towards the Custom House. So that would release traffic coming that way. Um, but we're, we are just talking about a very narrow area. And people have to remember that there's no uh, bridge on the Liffey that you can currently cross that you won't be able to cross afterwards. You okay, know. you're sold. I am totally. I've drunk the Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I was, I was, <laughs> you're not quite bought and paid for. Facts. You're sold, Cormac Lucy. Well, we're going to talk later about uh, John Bruton, and and I did some work for John Bruton, and but then in 1991 I went uh, to work in Eastern Germany just after German reunification. And they had a form of pseudo-democracy uh, in Eastern Germany, which had all of the form of democracy, but none of the substance. So I, I'm slightly cagey about consultation processes as a substitute for vibrant political debate. And I, I, I'm unaware of a vibrant political debate among councillors at Dublin City. Council. Oh, that, that, oh that can happened. I just say that's that not happened. true at all? I'm unaware. Well, I'm, I'm not well, saying I'll it hasn't happened. It. I'm not saying I'll it hasn't happened. I'll tell you happened. about it. Very, very interesting council meeting on this the other, the other uh, day where everyone says, oh, the Greens, it's the Greens again and they're pushing their agenda. The councillors who spoke best about this were Fine Gael and Sinn Féin councillors and it was cross-party support for so, this. So they had a debate on it the other day? Yeah, they had a debate on it on the, the Traffic Committee of the Council okay. the other day. There's but, also but been conversations. After it was a fait accompli. No, 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 no. Okay. There, there were anyway, conversations look, you, before. You, you both had a, had a good outing. Well, 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 well in, a, in a later life then, after I'd come back from Germany, I was uh, a special advisor to Michael McDool and working, preparing the Progressive Democrats 2004 four or five local election manifesto and we got in to meet the Dublin city manager and one of the things I'd seen in Berlin was that they have a green wave of traffic lights so if you're if you were coming in say from Stillorgan into Dublin and you drive at the within the speed limit you will meet a, se- a an unbroken sequence of green traffic lights until you hit uh, the, the River Liffey. Mm. And, and I, I suggested this as an, as an idea and I was told it was already in place. Uh, now, I, I don't believe it is in place. I don't believe it ever was in place. And I'm, 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 
I'm, I've, I've an uneasy feeling about a lack of accountability of Dublin city officials. That, that, that's, that's, that's my core position. I, I feel that uh, they get to run things as they wish and the level of real accountability they're uh, held to by elected officials is, is insufficient. Fergus Finlay, do you think this is going to make uh, Dublin a nicer place to live? Yes, Brendan, I do. Um, and I have to be really honest. I, 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 I ref- my, my sort of reference point this morning was an article written by David Quinn where he says, now I'm a cyclist and I'm a bus user and this plan is awful. I'm a motorist, OK? I'm a lazy motorist. I hate every element of this plan. I think it is exactly the right thing to do. It's going to discommode me because I need to get out of my car and get onto my feet. I had the horrendous indignity last Friday of an appointment in the dental hospital that I would normally drive to. And my wife said, why don't you take the dart? And I took the dart to the dental hospital and I took the dart home again. And I lived. I survived. And I felt at the end I'd made a bit of a contribution to Dublin by not bringing a car into the city centre. Um, this is exactly the... It's one of those mad controversies that we managed to stir up in Ireland where in a year's time, a year after this has been implemented, we'll all wonder what the fuss was. And then we'll start wondering when the first plaza, when the first plaza comes and all that. Yeah. So we keep being told, that, and that's the, the, the Green Party leader's line in it, that once this is done, nobody... But because it'll be done... People who have no choice but to move on and adjust to the new circumstances. And like a lot of people say, this has been a gradual anti-motorist kind but, of... But Brendan... Uh, Starting yeah. back with, with Owen Keegan, basically, and a determination that people do not bring their cars. But Brendan, but what's wrong with that? Why is that I'm afraid when, as a motorist, Brendan, as a motorist, as a committed dyed-in-the-wool 75-year-old motorist, we need an anti-motorist movement. We have to start reducing the number of cars in the city. We have no choice but to do that. This Why? is the right... Because of climate change, Brendan, because because we're drowning the city, because the city is in gridlock, because it's a really unpleasant... I mean, I, I no longer have to drive into Dublin at 8 o'clock in the morning because I retired from my job. But I used to arrive in Dublin in road rage, absolute road rage, in the days when my starting time was half 8 in the morning. I would, it would take me 20 minutes to simmer down from the traffic madness that I would encounter every morning. Yeah, a lot of people feel that they can't, if they want to get to work on time, they can't rely on, on the bus to come and the bus to and come. And this is what we're to trying to change here, Brendan. We need to, public transport to be reliable, to be more efficient. And part of that is taking cars off the road so we can make public transport better. Right now, Dublin is seen as a dirty, grubby, traffic congested city and we need to change that. And everyone can agree when Grafton Street and Henry Street got changed, there were uproar. But look at it now. You wouldn't have it any other way. OK, I'm going to read some text because there's a lot of text coming in. These travel plans are for people who are healthy and presume they will remain healthy. Many, many people are unable to either cycle or take buses so much for inclusion and that's for man. And, and like I think a lot of people make the point as well that if you are going to a hospital or a medical thing, if you're coming from the country, bringing a child to the new children's hospital, you will not be taking public transport is the truth of that. Also Even if not convinced by the climate change argument for... OK, fair, fair point. Even if not convinced by the climate 
change argument for reducing traffic in Dublin? Does anyone have the right to continue to pollute the air for residents of Dublin City to the point where health and lives are at risk, says Nuala? So that, that obviously the, the um, air quality is another huge issue here. If they don't want cars to drive through the city, why charge to go around via the M50 and free to drive through the city? Illogical, says that person. What about people who live in the city and work outside the M50? There are no buses when I'm leaving my apartment at 5am, says that person. Why is the civic office car park for council workers not closed? The council wish to cut down on traffic. Lead by example, close their own car park first. I'm totally in favour of public transport, but it needs to be efficient, joined up and available. But on the consultation, I don't believe it was widely advertised. I was unaware of it and I would love to have contributed. Brendan, it took two hours to travel from Clontarf to Turnure by bus yesterday afternoon. Uh, another one. What about a woman in labour trying to get to a hospital? Well, I think Olivia's covered Is she supposed to go on her bike or on the bus? Olivia's covered that. <coughs> it will not affect uh, people. What is the plan to ensure the plan plaza does not become an area for drug users like, like the boardwalk? So look, there. Uh, that that's just now, just what's mm. what's up there in front of me now, and they, there's more coming all the time. There, I guess, all the people who didn't possibly um, make themselves known in the uh, in the consultation plan. I think we're all in the position of Saint Augustine, make us holy, but not yet. We want to just hold on to our comforts and our cars, and we can't, Brendan. We just can't. We have to bite the bullet on on issues like this. There's no choice about that. But and I, I'm, I mean, I'm saying that as somebody who doesn't find it all that easy to walk miles and haven't been on a bike for years. You know, we, we don't have any choice in these matters. I think people like you should be given electric bikes. <laughs> but Brendan, Brendan... Okay, they, 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 I take one. I think yeah. they change your life. But Brendan, just one. one last point on this. The text you read out in relation to uh, going to hospitals, in relation to medical needs, people can still use their cars. They can still get to those destinations. Uh, time and time again, Olivia, other people have said okay. it. You can yeah, travel across. I think we got that point. OK, so then the other side of this, Cormac... Um, or another aspect of this general uh, discussion. The Business Post, page one today, um, you picked a piece by Ellie Donnelly. Reiner Chief Warren's passenger cap stalemate will last until 2028 at least. So Michael O'Leary is saying that's how long it'll take to get uh, for it to go through planning, appeals, everything else, that the government should step in in the meantime and put in a temporary higher cap. So this is a very similar story, but in a different arena, uh, air travel rather than road travel. Uh, only and, and here there's an extra dimension in that the physical capacity of Dublin Airport to cope with extra aircraft uh, may, may be constrained. So Michael O'Leary isn't standing back from the fight and Ryanair are uh, going on full propaganda here against Dublin Airport and essentially trying to appeal over the heads of Dublin Airport, over the heads of the government to the air travelling public implying that the the service they will be that will be available to them in the future is going to be constrained because of Dublin Airport's failure to increase capacity right now. Okay. And your thoughts? Well, I think I think my thought on this and on the roads is a, a lot can be fixed technically in trying to have the right price for things. So if somebody is doing damage or if somebody is increasing pollution, if they pay in their fare, embedded in their fare, a price to make that good. Uh, so let the market sort it out. Let the market sort it out, but then let the market be a collector of uh, funds to put things right. Uh, so that instead of having sort of high-profile personality rows or uh, you know people getting getting vexed, 
it's a simple question. Are you as an individual willing to pay the price for the damage that you will be causing by X or by Y? And if you are, off you go. If you're not, okay. you, you can't. And on one hand, it acts as a deterrent and on the other hand, it raises money. Hazel, what do you think of that idea? I don't disagree, but I, I, your, your problem is the market, letting the market sort it out means it's passed on to the consumer at the end of the day when really the likes of Ryanair and, and other airlines should be the contributor to, to fighting climate action, should be taking a leadership role, which they have not been well, they, doing They would so say far. they are. They have a net zero plan well, we'll and get, everything. And they're, but they're but what they're advocating through. more is increased emissions, is increased airline, um, airline travel. That's what they're trying to advocate for. It's still business to them at the don't get it that the consumer will pay in the end anyway because scarcer flights will mean higher prices if, if, if there's a cap. I, I think consumers after the last year after having the highest temperature records in, in over a hundred year and the climate crisis you were at, I, I think we, we, we sometimes look at consumers and think they don't understand. They do. They, they know that flying uh, or, or across for uh, holidays right now are not feasible compared to say five years ago or even two years Years ago, like you will see a dip in 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 people going away on holidays in July this year, possibly not because of just the uh, cost of flight, because they understand that they don't want to be stuck in forty one degrees lead. They know that there's yeah. A Ryanair crisis. seem to think they can sell more flights. Well, and this comes back to the problem that Ryanair wants that Ryanair wants to sell more flights. Ryanair is a business that, even though they have a net zero plan, it goes back to their bottom line and their margins. Okay, okay, Fergus, you picked. Um, there's a kind of a head-to-head on Dublin Airport, also in the Business Post, between John Gibbons, who's uh, an environmental <coughs> commentator and campaigner, and Joe Gill from Good Body Stockbrokers, who makes interesting points about Ireland Inc. Yeah, and and there is a it's a really complex argument. I don't know the right answer here, but I think an unlimited number of passengers going through Dublin Airport is not the right answer. Um, yeah, I don't it, think anyone's suggesting unlimited though. No, cap but, but the cap the cap that is proposed. The DAA have now accepted that the cap that they are proposing will result in an increase in emissions of at least a quarter. Uh, and that's scary. That's frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ryanair is, t- is talking about, you know, a net zero um, plan, but they're not there yet, not by any manner of means. Um, at the same time, I fully accept that we do need the capacity. Island economy. We need aviation. We need a world leaders in air That's a different thing. Um, I, I, I mean, I think it has to be limited. There's, it just I don't know what the limit is, yeah. but I think there has to be a limit. Um, and I, I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think, you know, Michael O'Leary is essentially arguing for a free-for-all. Give me whatever I want. Uh, and I don't think that's doable. Well, no, he's arguing for a bigger cap, but okay. Um, Cormac, you mentioned earlier you worked uh, for John Bruton for a time. Um, what jumped out to you in the coverage today? I thought the coverage was very good and very fair. <laughs> they didn't really get across. He could be a very jolly fellow. That that the, the public image you would get from uh, looking at photographs is that he's an awfully serious man. Uh, whereas behind the scenes, he... He had this bellowing laugh that you would hear from 50 metres distant. Frightened children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did, yeah. I'm sure it could and did. this kind of, there's a simplistic, I think in a way, narrative that has grown up, which is in the week, that he was a very difficult man in the 80s and then he copped on and calmed down in the 90s and was able to do business with people and... That was great. That's not simplistic, Brendan. That's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened. I worked with John Bruton in the 80s and in the 90s. 
Uh, and I can testify on the basis of experience that there were things that happened in the 80s that would leave you shaking. Um, he could be incredibly truculent, incredibly aggressive. Um, or, or, or you could call that like a man of conviction. And yes, yes, absolutely. Right? He, was yeah. a, he was definitely a man of conviction uh, and his convictions caused rows. But he also had the capacity to start a row in an empty room. Um, he, he was that kind of uh, feisty, I'm right, you're wrong type personality. And then in the 90s, um, he changed, he grew. Um, he, was, he was a phenomenal man to work for. Absolutely phenomenal man. And I went from a position of really disliking him to really admiring him. Yeah. I told a story during the week Do that I... Do people grow in general in politics? Because it's funny, it seemed to be particularly said about him that he had these phases of his life where he matured. His role changed. You don't hear it so much about other politicians. Uh, uh, top politicians, top jobs in politics have two, uh, two contrasting effects. You either grow in them or you shrink in them. I could name politicians who shrank in the top jobs. Um, John Bruton grew. Uh, absolutely no doubt about that. He, he learned lessons. He made a big mistake in 92 when he could have been Taoiseach with a, with a, with a, you know, a really, really, in a really difficult, challenging situation. And he chose not to, he chose against that. And then in 94, he, he, he got the job and, and he, he did change. I told the story during the week that I made a, an unkind remark about him uh, in a newspaper when he was Taoiseach. Um, and the remark was quoted and it was hurtful. I can't remember the exact remark. It was hurtful. But my name wasn't attached to it. Um, a, a source said or mm. I knew it was me and I knew it was hurtful and I knew it was unwarranted and I wrote him a note saying you might have seen this it was me I didn't mean it and I'm sorry uh, it was inappropriate and I'm sorry and I got a note back by return a handwritten note saying we've all made those mistakes Fergus get over it and that was the end of that um, and I think that was kind of the mark of the man he became not the mark of the man he always was but it was the mark of the man he became he was a really really admirable man is it, is it better, Cormac, in politics then? And I think, the, again, this is something that was put into sharp contrast for people this week. We think of politicians as people of certain convictions and ideology and everything, right? And that they should fight for those. But then I think what we learned about John Bruton this week is that when he became more pragmatic, maybe less uh, firm in his convictions, that that was actually a better politician, yeah? Well, in part, the role he had to play changed. So in the 1980s, when Fergus would have worked for him first under Gareth Fitzgerald as Taoiseach, John Bruton was the element, representing the element of Fine Gael that was unhappy at the compromises being made by Labour. Whereas by the 90s, he was leading the government and it was his job to hold things together. Uh, and no doubt he grew over that period, but the role he was playing changed. And that allowed him be be a better politician. And if you look at Gerry Adams, th there is a man who has gone through enormous change for the better. Uh, so I think we, you know, politicians are not machines. Yeah. They are living, growing animals. Would you, does that, um, does any of that strike a chord with you, Hazel, in terms of like, that we're not maturing as a politician. Ah, uh, yeah, we we all do in fairness. Like I, I was looking at the uh, various coverage of John Bruton, and like I, I, I myself and probably others in the party don't have much politically in common with him. But 
he was the person that brought in the Rainbow Co- Coalition and part of the transformation of this country. He deserves a lot of credit, Brendan, because it, 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 it brought us into, it sowed the seeds of prosperity. It, it was that kind of position of being able to compromise that he as Fergus says, should be admired for. But when you look at politicians, like you look at a lot of politicians through history and Gareth Fitzgerald was mentioned there by Cormac and another very admirable man. And I look at different people and how they've grown. I look at Michael Martin now, a lot of people would admire him and say, well, from the different positions he's held and how he's developed, uh, it's, uh, it, it shows uh, a man's worth. But it not you, you look at different uh, politicians now, it, you don't see that as much. You don't see, it's either left or right. There's there's very few in the middle. There's very few that's willing to uh, just bend and compromise as much as possible. And you need that compromise sometimes. See, people are more dug in now, you think, yeah? I think they are. I, I don't mean just Irish politics. I yeah, mean yeah, across yeah, the yeah. world. In so, general, yeah. and the dug inness, the the kind of, and you see it with the US elections at the moment, the more dug in they are, the more they, they attract a certain uh, cohort of voters. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're representing all. Olivia, what struck you in the coverage today of John Bruton or during the week? Well, I I suppose the interesting thing about John Bruton is how little interest people have had in him in recent years. He wouldn't have the same recognition as other politicians. Well, I wonder, is it... Is it the decent man effect? You know, so I would say people who were either... um, not adults or weren't born by the, when John Bruton was in power would have very little knowledge of him or of anything he did unless they were, you know, political animals themselves. I I think he has very much faded in to the to the background. And I I even had to remind myself and the coverage was great this <coughs> week and today, reminding him of what he achieved. And I don't know, is it is it that sort of like, you know, the I suppose Gareth Fitzgerald suffered from it as well in the Gareth the Good thing that he never liked himself. Mm. Is it is it that sort of that he never got himself in trouble the way people we might remember more did mm-hmm. in in other parties? But I wonder as well, you know, you know, is it because he was maybe in a position very frequently of ushering in things, but wasn't there for the final big moments? So say the peace process, mm. uh, the growing prosperity that we would have had in in the nineties. Yeah. To- was Ray McSharry yeah. got to do the yeah. budget that was the cornerstone yeah, so for that, which was Bruton's budget. They yeah, said. exactly, yeah. exactly. So he 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 prepared the ground for things, but maybe wasn't there for the big bang elements. So that's maybe why he doesn't he doesn't have the resident resonance maybe yeah. that other. So not a lucky do. general in, in exactly, ways. Yeah. Perhaps not a lucky general, um, uh, but somewhere in the archives in RTE. Um, there must be, and maybe it'll be played on the news at one, I don't know, but the, there must be the interview that he gave on the last Sunday of the divorce referendum. Um, yeah, it was, was played during the week. Yeah. Or was it? Yeah. I, d- I yeah. didn't hear it. I'm Just sorry. remind people of that, though. Um, it's, well, uh, people might remember that divorce referendum was really, really hard fought. In fact, in the end, it was carried, they often say, because it was Latin rain in the West and it was a fine day in Dublin, and it was carried by a margin of 1 or 2%. And on the last Sunday, it was very, very clear that it was slipping away and John Bruton had to go as Tijuk and give an interview. Um, and he gave an interview as a father, as a Catholic, uh, as a politician, uh, as somebody from a deeply conservative background. And he, you know, all of that was clear and open and up there. 
And he argued that this was the right thing to do, that it wasn't something that he would have been comfortable with. He would have been on the other side in the first divorce referendum, for example. And it was immensely persuasive. It was a brave thing to do uh, because I'd say he took heat from it from some of his own. Um, uh, but it was immensely persuasive. I, I believe myself, uh, can't prove it, that if he hadn't done that interview in the way he did it and from the perspective that he was coming from, we might not have won that. Um, uh, so it was, it, that was a signal and major contribution, just that one thing. Yeah. Um, I was also there when he signed the uh, Joint Framework documents, which were the thing that built on the Downing Street Declaration and created the agenda for, uh, for the, uh, the, peace pro the, the Good Friday Agreement and, and so on with John Major. And the real thing that is often forgotten about that is that that was all negotiated by Dick Spring and John Bruton with that John Major who was utterly and completely dependent on unionist votes at the time. He'd lost his majority in the House of Commons. And it was an incredible feat of negotiation and drafting to do all that. Um, and as Olivia said, yeah. then he moved on and everyone says, oh, the peace process, Bertie. Yeah. Everyone forgets John Bruton now. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I think in fairness, uh, a, a lot of that was remembered this week. OK, we'll take a break. Fergus Finlay, Hazel Chu, Cormac Lucy and Olivia Kelly staying with us. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back, Fergus Finlay, Hazel Chu, Cormac Lucy and Olivia Kelly are still with us. Uh, let's move on. Um, you've all picked uh, a, a good few stories around... Uh, well, around arson, really, uh, but around the immigration question in general. Um, Olivia, the front page of the Sunday Independent arson case investigated for possible organised gang links. Mm. I, I think this is, and it's reflected in all the papers, it, there's just tremendous fear at the moment because the impression we're getting from this is that the, the Gardaí don't have a handle on who's behind this. It's in all all the different papers today, you know, from the, the broadsheets to the tabloids, the limited number of arrests. I, one of the, I think it was the Sunday World, went through... The, ma uh, the mail, I Was it the mail? Went through the 13 different with no arrests yeah. and said that the, the arrests that there have been, I think 10 arrests, have been in relation to just three acts of our and, you know, perhaps the Gardaí do have a handle on this and for operational reasons, they can't tell us. But that's it's a terrible position to be in because it's putting out the perception that, that, that they really don't know who these people are, that they don't know what's going on. And I think that's that's going to engender terrible fear across the country. Hazel, you picked that as well. I, I did. And, and Brendan, we've been talking about this on, on various shows from yourselves for the last couple of months, even a, a year. And I started looking back when I was reading the various uh, raw sheets and, and uh, platforms in the last day going, how many is there, has there been? So the list, if you uh, give me 10 seconds, is Kill, Sheriff Street, Sandwich Street, Brincana, Brincana again, Ballinacolic, Ballybrack, Vermoy, Finglas, Holiday Inn in Cahobrua Street, Ross Lair, Galway, Ringsend, Fetter, Sandymount, Beaumont, Lanesborough, Cookslink, Leakslip. That's not to include Moville, Ruski, Ballium Moor and Martin, uh, Martin Kenny's car in his front lawn as well. And why I bring that in is because there has been a threat on arson, on buildings, on uh, reps, on property for a long time now, since 2018. So this is not a new thing. And this is not just to do with one gang, as the Gardaí suggests, or another. It's to do with a concerted 
insidious group of people that that are are planning, that are, as we said before, going into communities, trying to turn the narrative, but also inciting hatred and fear, but also inciting arson. So there seems to be, if I'll I'll just interrupt you, there seems to be a lack of clarity about what's happening here. But like some people saying this has got, there's got to be an element of uh, of a... central kind of planning to this or an organised group or something. Then on the other hand, is it the, the guards seem to be saying a lot of the people who do this are locals in a lot of cases as far as they're aware, but maybe egged on and again, like Ali Bracken's story today, uh, that they are being um, used. 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 The they are. Yeah. They are being okay. used. And it, there is a connection. You can't look at one and say it's isolated event uh, versus another. There is a connection. People are being used. Good people in communities are being used. And you can see this in terms of the disinformation and lies being spread. It's being spread within communities that that at, at times would have no issue with, with uh, immigration, but suddenly uh, it's been brought on. And the question I have for the guards and the question I have for the Minister of Justice, which has been asked time and time again by myself and many other people is where is the proactive strategy to ta- tackle uh, misinformation and these uh, these groups? Not just arrests for ringsend or various uh, arson attacks, but where is the overall proactive strategy that we look at? We call it the stick approach in terms of the arrests, in terms of the intelligence gathering, but where is the carrot approach in terms of increase of community guards to, to work with communities to make sure that lies aren't spread. I give you a good example, Brendan, of how it's been working really well in our local area. The, the local guards in Donbrook have been absolutely amazing uh, to the Asylum Seeker Centre in, in Ballsbridge and they've been tying in. They came to welcome events. There's a very good community presence, but that's taken and off. And even by, at that, we did see people rock up in a van there uh, with, uh, yeah. with, with a and, chainsaw. And, and once they knew that was happening, they, they, were, they, they were doing patrols uh, often as well. Now, the lads there, I have to call them out, Brendan and Kieran, are amazing, but that's that's a, that's one particular station. Where is the overall strategy? It should not well, be down we, to we, one we station another. It should be a wider. Yeah, but that property this week this. in in uh, Wicklow was the second time that there'd been exactly. an arson attempt there. There was a security guard. I read some of the security guard there when it happened. Uh, was yeah. according to one report. Similarly in Leakslip, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fergus, does it seem like that the like to Hazel? The picture she's painting is that we are sitting back and letting burning buildings become a thing. In I, this I think it's a bit inexplicable, to be honest, Brendan. I'm not sure what and why the the Garda response seems so inadequate, but it does. Um, I live near Ballybrack, one of the places that uh, Hazel mentioned. Before that building was put on fire, it was surrounded by protest. And the first time I became aware of it was when I was driving through Ballybrack. I don't know if you know about it back, but it's basically on a crossroads. Yeah. Four large roads meet in the middle of it. For 100 yards in every direction, as I was arriving, there were Irish flags fluttering from poles. Huge Irish flags fluttering from poles with writing on them. These were not put up there by locals. When you drive into the village, there's a tent in the middle of the village and a table manned by rather large men. And they're handing out leaflets. And the leaflets are all about unvetted males. They're all about fear uh, and so on. And there are some locals as well. I stopped and got out of my car. And when I became aware of what was going on, I said, not in my name, thank you very much. And I was told in no uncertain terms to F off by two very large men. And I took the wiser course and F'd off. But that's what was going on before the fire there. Mm -hmm. It was 
two, two weeks of that, of threatening, intimidating behaviour, completely surrounded by professionally installed paraphernalia. It was okay. as obvious as they'd nose in your face that something bad was going down. Cormac? I'm, I'm worried about the state of Angara uh, you know, We had 99% plus of the members of the Garda Representative Association, the main effectively union within the Guards, voting no confidence in the Commissioner. Uh, we've had a series of... You know, I, I can remember reading a newspaper account in the Irish Times 15 months ago with a quote from the Garda Press Office saying, we, the Garda, are tracking the social media comments of the far right. Mm-hmm. And, and it was all to the effect of everything's fine, we have it all but under that control. That there were a certain amount of people that they were watching. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now, like when, when the Good Friday Agreement was signed, there was a wave of fires in Northern Ireland and it ended up with three boys being burnt to death in their family home in County Antrim. And like this is extraordinary, couldn't be more serious what's happening. And uh, I can't understand how the Gardaí would not have their own agents inside these groups operating undercover uh, in the way that was done with the IRA and with other paramilitaries. They probably do, They probably do, but if they do, uh, the the, the level of of advance warning they're able to supply seems pitifully inadequate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay, we'll uh, segue on from that. Olivia, just briefly, uh, there's an interesting little uh, kind of nugget uh, in the business post Dozens of private developers offered to build modular homes for Ukrainian refugee families. Yeah, well, that, that's obviously being put forward now as one of the solutions rather than using existing buildings where communities may not want their local hotel used for refugees. People uh, might think as well, how long have we been talking about, about modular about housing at this stage? Like, and they do seem yeah. to be companies keen to, ready and able to do it. Exactly, exactly. Now, it's not that you're not going to fall into the same sort of problems. You know, a community is going to object to modular housing being put in in a similar way that they're going to object to their local hotel. Because while people say, oh, it's the loss of the hotel as a facility, you know, that's that's very frequently not what they're really objecting to. So they're objecting to people who aren't local people coming into their community. So that, that's a well, separate in issue. fairness, a lot of it is about as well that they say they can't get a doctor's appointment, they can't get a dentist's appointment as things stand and that if they're yeah, supporting... Well, uh, if there were supporting services being I'm put interested in, as well. in how tr- true that actually is. So, say the government came along and they said, right, we're going to pump money into this. We're going to make it, you know, we're going to, there, if, if school places was what you're worried about, we'll put in, uh, you know, yeah. more, more school places, another school building, another teacher. If doctors is what you're worried about, we're going to make it very uh, attractive for a new doctor to come to your community. It'll be, a, you know, they, they'll, they'll be given funding to set up their practice. Uh, sure, you might even get some of these people who are seeking asylum here may have a medical background and sure they might like to become come to your community and be a doctor we do all that and then we see our people uh, objecting or not I know what, I've strayed slightly from the modular no, 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 issue no no not at all well, well that's, that's interesting Hazel what do you think it comes down to do you think uh, to what Olivia says if people were offered all the support services and everything would they have a different view or is this plain racism 
I think there would be a, a different view, but to some a small cohort, they will always object. And we see this not just with uh, immigrant families coming into to the area. We can see this with housing, even new housing into areas that uh, people object to because it, it's that kind of we don't want any other people <laughs> within our community. We, do, we don't want the outside coming in. But saying that, I think if we increase services, if we increase uh, our provisions on healthcare, and to Olivia's point, I've met a lot of migrants in, in the last year, uh, year and a half. One family recently that came over from Palestine, uh, the father is a doctor. So again, if we, if we harness, and we have been harnessing, if you look at what our healthcare system, it's propped up by a lot of immigrants. It's propped up, our, our construction sector is propped up by immigrants as well. If we can convince communities, listen, these people, they're not just coming over here to take your homes, they're coming here to be part of your community. That might change uh, perspective, but it does need to go back to services. We need to provide if sufficient services for people. Hazel, just before we leave this, um, you, you've, you've, I've asked you about this before, but just against the current background, right? So, like, if you just stand back and go objectively, people are burning out buildings where they think that uh, people from outside of Ireland are going to live. In terms of how you feel, the atmosphere in the country, how you feel for your kids and everything, does does that alarm you? Like, does it worry you? It's terrifying, Brendan. Like, it, it is terrifying. We, um, it's Lunar New Year, so I've gotten to meet a lot of um, Asian families from different backgrounds. And normally, um, you would say Asians aren't really targeted, apart from when uh, COVID happened. But uh, the, the families I met all said, what should I do? Should I be going into work? Should I be going back to Vietnam, Thailand, China, these countries I come from. And th- these are people who are nurses in hospitals, who are cleaners, who are bus drivers. And, and they, they all go, are we now a very unwelcoming country, Hazel? And they use the word are, uh, Brendan, because to them, they don't feel like they, they are outsiders until recently. This has always been their country. And what we've now allowed is a small, be it small or growing, cohort of insidious people in our name say to people they are not welcoming and we're destroying. But that has changed the atmosphere. For that that people, has, has changed the world. atmosphere massively. They are people scared. There are people worried. And there are people thinking, well, is Ireland still welcoming? We are, but we need to show it. And we need the minister, we need Angarda Shiakana to, 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 to show that this is a issue that they're tackling seriously. In the immediate aftermath, Brendan, of the Dublin riots, every nursing home in Dublin and every hospital in Dublin suffered a higher than usual spike in absenteeism because staff were afraid yep. to come to work. Yep. For several days that went on and it almost provoked a huge crisis. When people are terrified to leave their homes and take to the streets of the city to go to work, you know you've got a big problem. OK, we'll take a break. Fergus Finlay, Hazel Chu, Cormac Lucy and Olivia Kelly staying with us. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. Come back, Fergus Finlay, Hazel Chu, Cormac Lucy and Olivia Kelly still with us. Let's focus on uh, some other people's problems now for a minute. We've talked about the phases politicians can go through in their lives and Joe Biden is going through an interesting phase now. Cormac Lucy, I think it's a phase known as old age yeah. and there's nothing wrong with it, but should he be the leader of the free world? Uh, and that has come to a head this week, really, hasn't it? It has. Uh, I mean, the Democrats have really backed 
the incumbency factor and the fact that he's the president, he's the incumbent, he's got the established base of support and they've been praying that his decay uh, would slow down or would be limited or not become obvious and unfortunately it is becoming obvious. Uh, so the question they have to make in the next four to six weeks is do we try to replace him? And uh, that that's going to be extraordinarily difficult. The, the other problem they have is is that his vice president isn't an obvious successor for yeah. him. Uh, so maybe somebody like Michelle Obama is going to have to be drafted in as a as a superstar. Listen, the Obamas couldn't get out of the White House and off into the sunset. Netflix quick enough. No, there's no, they quit while they're ahead. There's no way they're coming back. Um, Fergus Finlay. It's, I, it's I, an interesting question here now, isn't it? Is, yeah, but cruel, in terms of age and everything. It's a question. Yeah. I, I mean, I had two reactions to it. I, first of all, I, I think his campaign has been really damaged by, by last week. Okay. That's the first thing. So I'm just to remind people that there was, there was, a, there was a, 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 a report there done. There was an investigation on, uh, an into investigation. the fact that, that papers that shouldn't have been in his house were in his house. And, and an investigator was appointed, a Republican was appointed to convey the sense of independence. And this Republican issued a report which said there is no case to answer here. Um, they, these papers were probably taken when he was vice president, when he had a right to take them. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah, then but went I, on yeah. to say, then went on to say that we interviewed the man and he comes across, we couldn't convict him anyway because a jury would find him to be a well-meaning old man with a bad memory. We so not the fit man. to stand trial, which as not, people are pointing out is a low bar. It's a low bar. But fit to be the and president. I, I, that, was, that was deliberate. It was vindictive. Uh, it was political. Okay. Uh, it was a political hit job. But it, it but, scored. Yeah. I mean, the thing that made me really, really angry about this was in the last while, I lost three people who are really, really close to me. Three people whose deaths affected me really badly, really deeply. Um, ask me the date they died. I wouldn't have a clue, Brendan. Wouldn't have do, a clue. Do, do I could you work think it Joe out. Biden? Okay, okay. I could work it out. To, to put that specific of it aside in his his son's death. Do you think, in general, given that when he came out with his impassioned defence of his mental acuity during the week, he then went on to confuse Mexico with Egypt? Like, we all do that. Does he we have all do that all yeah, the time? You think he's mentally as mental acuity? Yes, I, I, he's as mentally acute as I am. Okay. Okay. I, I'm not good with dates. I'm not great with names. I struggle if if I write something and I write something all the time that involves hard facts. I have to research them. I have to think them through and work them out. Um, and I'm 10 years younger than, than Joe Biden. What I do think Biden has is wisdom, experience, judgment. I actually think the fact that I can't remember the deaths of the date of, that of my mother or my father doesn't make me incompetent either. Um, so I think there is that side of this. OK, OK. But Let's ask the younger parties then. Hazel? Oh, I, thought you were, I thought you were going for me there, Brendan. I'm offended. The younger parties are becoming to both of our, both of our young friends now. This means we're the older parties. Yeah. The ah, it's, it's like I, I looked at the coverage and went, oh, God, because I also looked at the polling figures and I think uh, Trump was at 43 and Biden was marginally ahead. And, and that's wor worrying because at the end of the day, if you swap in someone now, unless they are a superstar, um, the, you, they won't win and you will suffer another four years of Trump. So I don't agree with Biden, especially when it comes to uh, Palestine and uh, the actions there. But at the end of the day, when you look at the uh, possible uh, possibility of success for the Democrats, it, it's him or 
draft in someone, as you say, Michelle Obama, someone that will will have the momentum and um, have have uh, the star power. Saying that Biden, my worry is not about his, his memory and knowledge, is whether he lasts a grueling, a grueling campaign physically. So, yeah, like, he didn't have to leave the house yeah, the last time. Exactly. Yeah. Last time was COVID. There was minimum campaigning. Like, the campaigning over, over in US is a completely different ballgame. We go door to door there. They go state to state over, like you can cover different states over a day. And it's just, it's a I, grueling I tell you, it's about process. three weeks to prove that he can do that. We yeah. need to see three weeks of high, high intense activity to see that, to prove yeah, that he can to do see that. whether he yeah. can. If, okay. if not, then, then he Olivia. has a major problem. Well, you know, the, this issue that we're referring to as mental acuity or, or misspeaking, malapropisms, they're an issue for the candidates of, of both parties, you know, for the, the you know, we c- couldn't say that uh, Donald Trump hasn't had his moments as well in a similar vein. But what I'd say is, you know, we're, we're focusing. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs. Yeah, when I know. Yeah. Ne- neither of them can remember what exactly, day it is. Exactly, exactly. But or we're, what we're focusing on an age issue. And, you know, it's Are not we focusing on age, though? Are people not just focusing on the fact that he, he does seem to forget a lot of things and forget, well, lose his train of thought and forget where he is and who he's talking to at times on public Yes, so I, I, was, I was going to say that. If you, if, you, if you think about focusing on it as an age issue, if you think about our own president, Michael D is actually older than, than him. And you could never say that Michael D says anything that isn't deliberate, that he doesn't say things mm. that he didn't mean to say. So I think the age thing is, I won't say it's irrelevant, you know, pe- people are yeah, more likely I to suffer from certain conditions as they age, but I don't think we should focus on it so much as an age issue, but I do think yes, there are concerns and I agree with Fergus, it really needs to be sorted out quickly if if he has the ability not just to withstand the compa- campaign, but to withstand the four years that follows. I, there are two existential questions, I mean the, the first existential existential issue is for America this is a choice between Biden and Armageddon. The second, the second issue is, if not Biden, who? Yep. There isn't a who. There isn't an answer to that question. I was trying to figure that out the other day. It's not going to be an Obama. Mm. I don't think it's going to be the governor of California. Perhaps the governor of Michigan. Were you looking for the name Gavin Newsom there? I was looking for the name <laughs> yeah. Gavin Newsom. Um, governor Whitmer of, of Michigan, perhaps. Uh, one other possibility that occurred to me is the current Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are possibilities. But my God, the job that would have to be done. Yeah, and they were so foolish to put themselves in this position where it's, you know, a last minute decision that they're going to have to make. Hazel, Hazel, you think there could be one saviour of him? You picked uh, Barry O'Halloran's piece in the Sunday Indoor today. Uh, about Taylor Swift. Oh, uh, that wasn't a saver. It was more again coming down to when when people are losing, they build, they pull in the star power and uh, they pull in the the entertainment industry. And one of the things I've noticed with Taylor Swift is the massive amount of following from a younger cohort. So if not just her, if Biden can pull in the likes of herself and younger, uh, um, uh, I don't want to call them influencers, people who attract Swifties. younger, Swift, n- yeah. not just yeah. Swifties, <laughs> but young, younger fo- fo- uh, cohorts that will care about uh, the abolishment of uh, Rowan Wade, women's health care, all, 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 um, all the talking factors in the last couple of years, then maybe he stands a chance. But now saying that those are the same voters who are protesting on the street 
lobbied against him for Palestine. So so you may not be able to catch them. But perhaps the real solution is not to get Taylor Swift to endorse, but it's, to get Taylor Swift it's to run. Become clear, as we've spoken. <laughs> of course it is, isn't it? Is she 35? She might win Maybe. Trump, so. <laughs> is she that what is she's not she quite thirty five? She's no, not. No. She won't. Is that what's going to happen at the Super Bowl tonight? She's going is to say she's, she's running. She is going to announce uh, with, with, well, with her, her Taylor NFL Swift or a man who has how Not many tonight. charges against him? 91 or at this stage um, charges. So I, I think Taylor Swift might stand a better chance. So I'm talking about Trump, not, not Biden, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, listen, you know what? The sad thing is they're probably not listening, uh, so they won't Aww. pick up on that good idea. But look, maybe Taylor Swift is is brewing something there. Um I just I want to finish up on on a, a text back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, it's not Ryanair and the other airlines that are causing emissions, says this texter. It's the people taking the flights. Take some personal responsibility. So uh, we bear that in mind. OK, thanks very much to our panel this morning. Fergus Finlay, Hazel Chu, Cormac Lucy and Olivia Kelly.